Only a button. <laughs> oh, hello. Welcome to episode 102 of the Civil War Breakfast Club podcast. Once again, I'm joined by Mary, a woman who thought that as a Canadian, that International Women's Day was only about her. I am merely a riveted Rosie named Darren. Hi, Missy. How are you? <laughs> Oh my god. How goes the day? Well, you hit on a few of my pet peeves with that one. <laughs> yeah, well, god. Yeah. Jeez. Well, Action packed night tonight. Oh so, my god. So what's, what's, what's happened? What's going on? Happy happy International Women's Day. We're recording the day oh. afterwards. Today is Thursday. So oh, so happy you. to all the women out there. Uh, happy International Women's Day to everybody out there. So thank you. Uh, that, how's yes, your happy mood? International Women's Day to uh to everyone out there, including all our female listeners as well. Yeah, that's definitely, definitely. So because we, cool. we, so do, we do have some females who are into the Civil War and listen to this podcast. No, we certainly do. We have, we we have, do. We have some great ones. We absolutely do. And there's some great people we know who do history yes. about the Civil War as well. We're very proud of them, and they're great people as well. So, everything else going okay? You seem a little testy today, man. A little bit? I don't know. So something's going on. I would say you seem short, but you're always a little short. So what's going on? I think it was just a long commute home from the uh, metropolis of Boston. Oh, it's tough. It's tough. <laughs> so I'm going to be a gracious host, and I'm going to ask you just to get going, because I think you need one of these more than ever today for some reason. <laughs> what are you drinking today? I am drinking Brotherly Love by Victory, uh, which is a brewery in Pennsylvania. And it is for the city of Philadelphia, which, uh, funny enough, our subject tonight is from there. It's very good. It's very good. No question about it. What are yes. you drinking out of? Oh, my um, unconditional surrender General Grant mug, because today we were recording on the anniversary of when he went to the White House to officially get um, his commission as a lieutenant general from Lincoln. He was in Washington, oh, D.C. for that. Very, very appropriate drink and very appropriate mug. Well done. Well done. And what are you drinking? Oh, thanks for asking. I was going to sit here. I was wondering if you're going to ask me. I'm glad you did. Thank you so much. I am likewise drinking brotherly love from Philadelphia because victory, because that's what we had in the fridge today. And for the same reasons you did. So thanks for, thanks for stealing that thunder. And I'm drinking it out of my Zoe De Chanel mug. And it's, it's International Women's Day. So I figured this is a glass or a mug with a woman on it. And I don't know if you know this, but she has a Civil War connection, Mary, that she was on an episode of Drunk History one day. Yes. And she portrayed Mary Todd Lincoln. So I figured, why the hell not give Zoe a little publicity and uh, on that. So Very cool. that's the scoop. That's the scoop. So. So we're back again. We are. We're, we're on our way. And today, we're going to talk about one of the most interesting stories of the entire Civil War, Mary, a covert black ops operation of elite soldiers sent deep behind enemy lines into the very heart of the Confederacy, which resulted in one of the most controversial events of the war. This, of course, is the story of Dahlgren's raid of 1864. Mm -hmm. Yes, and it's something that, um, and I think we'll probably get to this at some point in the episode, but it's not something that is talked about a lot and i think that's for a few reasons which we'll get to but it's not something that's known but i think it's something that i think should be studied a little bit more because i think it has a few far-reaching effects um that and it's just it's it's really interesting you know it's not well, it's like a, not like it's not a complicated like battle or anything like that but it's the different moving parts are interesting and Ulrich Dahlgren who is obviously at the center of this um his story is quite interesting as well I mean, it's a story, literally the stuff of action movies are made out of. It's one, you know, one, you know, it's not up there with like all the big famous cavalry raids, uh, you know, Jeb Stewart, you know, Morgan, you know, any of those guys. But, but, uh, but all of them, you know, North and South, this one probably caused the most controversy, yeah. certainly in Richmond in the Confederate White House. So who is this Ulrich Dahlgren we speak of, Mary? Well, he was born on April the 3rd, 1842 in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. He's the second son of Rear Admiral John A. Dahlgren and Mary Clement Bunker. Um, his uncle Charles G. Dahlgren actually joined the Confederate Army when the Civil War broke out. Um, but Dahlgren and his family in 1843, they're going to move to Delaware. And in 1848, they moved to Washington, D.C. And when Ulrich was completed school in 1858, his father trained him as a civil engineer. Um, so he worked surveying land in Mississippi for his uncle Charles, the one that will eventually join the Confederate Army. Um, in September of 1860, this is when he moves to Philadelphia, and he works for a law firm of his other uncle called Jasper. And um, so the one thing about uh, Dahlgren is that he doesn't he's one of these guys that does not go to West Point. He doesn't have any formal military training. So when he enters the Civil War, it's without military training. 
I mean, he grew, he didn't have it, but he grew up in it. You mentioned before mm. he went to Washington. He goes to Washington, you know, because his father, John, has become a naval ordnance officer at the Washington Navy Yard. And John, you know, we, we, we talked a little bit about him in the past, but John Dahlgren, you know, he's going to be an expert in naval ordnance and literally wrote the book on it. He would invent what would be known as a Dahlgren gun, a state-of-the-art Labatt's blue bottle-shaped gun <laughs> uh, that, that basically um, was built in 1852. It became the standard gun of the U.S. Navy. John was a superstar, and Ulrich grew up in that military environment. And because of his famous father, you know, Ulrich was, was well-known in those political circles around Washington. Mm -hmm. So jumping ahead to where you were, when the Civil War started, you know, John, the father, was the commander of the Washington Navy Yard. And being the son of the commander, young Ulrich immediately signed up with that Navy to help defend Alexandria, Virginia. Mm -hmm. Now, being so close to Washington, Ulrich had the benefit of being able to return frequently. Uh, and on May 29, 1862, Dahlgren and his father, John, they're going to stop by the White House and meet the guy with the hat, Abraham Lincoln, mm -hmm. as well as Secretary of War Edward Stanton. Now, during this meeting, Lincoln wanted to know about Ulrich, how you know how you enjoying your military life so far. How are things, you know, because he's the son of a famous naval officer of yeah. the day, one of the all times. So he wants to know what he's been up to. Ulrich is going to explain to both Lincoln and Stanton, you know, basically what he's doing, and they both took a real shine to him. Mm -hmm. And before you know, and before long, Ulrich is going to get personally offered the position of captain. Now this time in the army. And he's going to be an aide-de-camp to the 11th Corps hero there, Franz yep, Siegel. Franz Siegel had his best and, day you know, in the Civil War at Pea Ridge, manning the artillery. He, he did, he did. Now, for Ulrich, you know, the days of hanging around the Alexandria DQ, they're over now. <laughs> and now he's going to be campaigning with the Army. And he's going to first see that elephant at 2nd Manassas. And within a year, you know, he's going to have served in Fredericksburg, Chancellorsville, mm -hmm. Gettysburg. He, got, he gets around now. The thing about Ulrich is he's very interesting, and he writes home to his family about his experiences in, in a letter that he addressed to his father and kind of gives some kind of fatherly advice on to his family about, what, about his philosophy. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because he writes, command your temper and never keep company with gamblers. Always speak the truth, never drink, and be kind to your brothers and sisters. Now, it's interesting that this tempered Ulrich mm -hmm. is going to be to a complete 180 from the Ulrich Dahlgren we're going to see later on. Yeah, he's, But it's uh, interesting there are two sides of the coin with this guy. Mm -hmm. He does. And by June of 1863, he's going to find himself on the staff of the Army of Potomac commander and Boston fun lover, guess who? Joseph Hooker. Oh, yeah. And again, these family connections are, are helping him be around these inner, this inner circle. Yeah. Now, Ulrich was happy to be, to be part of the army, but he wanted to do more. Uh, and Dahlgren was basically allowed to ride with John Buford in his cavalry. Um, they attacked Jeb Stewart. He was part of that Brandy Station yep. raid on June 9th. So he kind of was found himself in the middle of everything, almost like the Forrest Gump of the Civil War kind of. <laughs> he was just he was just everywhere. Yeah. When Hooker gets replaced by George Meade. Dahlgren's role is going to continue in that field capacity, mm -hmm. and he's going to be part of that cavalry group that actually catches that rebel dispatch yep. on July 2nd, the second day of the Battle of Gettysburg, mm -hmm. which tells Meade what? That Lee ain't getting any yeah, reinforcements exactly. from Richmond. Yeah. So he's getting all this information. To this point, Dahlgren, for the most part, has been spared of injury. He's been lucky. Yeah. For being everywhere, he's been around. But yeah, soon, he's going to cash in his karma. The karma card is going to come a cash in. <laughs> Is what's going to happen. So, you know, during Lee's retreat to Virginia, Ulrich is going to find himself at the Battle of Hagerstown on that retreat. This is in Maryland on July 6th of 1863. Now, if you remember, during that six-hour fight with Judson Kilpatrick's yeah. Union Cavalry, remember that name, Mary, yeah. okay? He's going to fight Alfred Iverson's North Carolina Infantry Brigade. Dahlgren is going to be injured. He's going to, it's going to ultimately, he's going to be injured on the foot, belief below the knee, for me to say. And it's going to basically ultimately result in an amputation. Yeah. Now, initially, the doctors think, eh, it's not too bad. Rub some dirt in it, you'll be fine. Oh, but then they realize that he has to, he's going to get sent back to Washington yeah. to rest. And while back in Washington, back at his father's house, 
um, gangrene starts to set in. Yeah. It starts to smell. That's oh. pussy. God. I mean, it, 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 it can, so guess what happens? A leg has to go. Yeah. That's it. Actually, Mary, I don't know if you know this, but if you're in the Washington, D.C. area, the site of where Dahlgren's leg was is buried mm-hmm. is, is on Isaac Hull Avenue near yeah. the Navy Yard. I was reading about and that. It's, and it's marked today. Mm-hmm. It actually has a marker on a, on a parking lot thing, on a, on a yeah, wall. Yeah, kind of weird. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, they, here's they, where somebody's tore, leg is. They tore, they tore it down, but you can go visit them to the spot where his leg is. You know what happened was interesting. When they dug up that parking lot to build it, yeah. they tore the building down. They said they buried the leg in an iron little box. And guess what happened? They never found the leg. Weird. They couldn't find it. Oh, my God. So it's so still there ha- somewhere. Oh, my God. Or maybe someone has it no. in their attic or something. Well, I'm sure all the leg men out there will be happy to check that out. But Ooh. that's the truth, though. It's somewhere, somewhere, somewhere his legs out there. So so Ulrich is all busted up. And by all accounts, you know, he's the type of guy who hated to be home. And he's bouncing off the walls. And just he, he wanted to rest. But he needed to recover from this amputation but he wanted to get back he got a fancy new wooden leg mary mm-hmm. that he um and then he was told that he'd be able to recover now and he'd be able to return back to uh you know to the field eventually so that picked up his mood a little bit now while in washington his father john dahlgren who was at this point if you remember from our robert smalls episode mary yes. he was down at where port royal south carolina yep. that's where he was outside of charleston He's going to come back to Washington and he's going to visit with Ulrich. And he's going to end up paying a visit again to the White House. This is on February 1st, 1864. So both Dahlgrens are going to meet with Abraham Lincoln again. Mm-hmm. And no one knows what it was discussed. Perhaps no. they talked about how many IPAs are normal just on a Friday <laughs> night. We don't know. But the thing about it, though, is interesting is the Dahlgrens had a reputation. Mm-hmm. In, the, in the military. In both of them, in one of his biographers uh, for the Dahlgren family, he's going to write, and I quote now, they were virile and impetuous glory seekers who played dangerous games for sport. That's what they said about him. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, Ulrich himself, he's tall, good looking dude. He's got reddish brown hair and had that Calvary crazy attitude, right? Yeah. Which is going to benefit him. So what happens? February 23rd, 1864, Ulrich Dahlgren is going to find himself at a party in Washington. And guess who he runs into? He runs into Kilpatrick, who is like, the two of them are kind of like, I I don't know if I want to call them kindred spirits, but I mean, they're very much alike in the sense that they've kind of got this like, shoot now, shoot some more, and then when everybody's dead, we'll kind of talk about if we should have done that. Attitude. They meet at this. They meet at this party, and they initially hit it off. I mean, yep. they just, you know, rumor has, you know, Kilpatrick said, "Do we just become best friends?" Yep. <laughs> you know, who knows if we let him play with his drum yep. set? We'll never know. God. But the thing is, is they be, they really hit it off. So mm. what Dalaran didn't know though was just eleven days before Kilpatrick himself had stopped by the mm. White House and met with Lincoln. Yeah. And Judson and Judson Kilpatrick at this point. He had a little bit of a PR problem going. He did. Uh, yeah, no kidding. I think he had that falling throughout the entire Civil War. Actually. Well, he did, but especially when you're talking about the winter of 64, he's coming off that bad assault at the end of the Battle of Gettysburg that got yep. Elon Farnsworth killed. Kilpatrick. He was affectionately known as Kill, Kill Calvary. Calvary. Yep. You know, so he 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 was not somebody who was going to be invited to many of these these fancy little parties. But, but for the most part, what he wanted, he wanted to, when he visited Lincoln, what he wanted was a shot at redemption mm-hmm. and he had a plan. Now, the thing about it was interesting about this plan is it was hatched without the approval of his boss, of course, Alfred Pleasanton. Yeah. It was not passed to the big man, George Meade, who was Pleasanton's boss. Yeah, well, honestly, this was is a... anybody taking Pleasanton seriously at this point? But still, though, it's a full <laughs> YOLO situation. I, I mean, it, I mean, you want to talk about the stones to go to the president of the United States, jump all those chains of command yeah. and, pr- and pitch a, a situation. Now, the thing is, is Mary, there's an old 80s song by Bonnie Tyler. It's called Holding Out for a Hero. I don't know yes, if you remember that song. I do. But this would have been the model for Lincoln himself in the winter of 1864. Mm-hmm. The election's looming. Yeah. Lincoln was looking for somebody brash and daring because things weren't going all that great. Under Enter Judson Kilpatrick with this plan. Now, 
Kilpatrick you gotta was aware. you got to be desperate if you're willing to listen to him. Well, <laughs> Kilpatrick was aware that there were thousands of Union prisoners that were being held at Libby Prison in Richmond, yeah. as well as on Bell Island in Richmond. Wouldn't it be a real deal, a real coup, if he could stealthily break them out and galvanize the Northern troops, who yeah. the, the people in the North who did not want anything to do with this war anymore, and give the finger to Jeff Davis in the South? Can you imagine that? Kilpatrick, on his own initiative, is going to propose this plan to Lincoln, who thought the plan was completely nuts. But considering the war was three years old now and going nowhere. And he's got an election and he needs something solid. He said, you know something? This is crazy, but it's just crazy enough to work. That's what he does. So Kilpatrick, thank you very much. He's going to go next door and go meet with Edward Stanton mm -hmm. with that shit-eating grin in his face. And goes, guess what the boss told me I could do? And so Stanton probably facepalmed him, glared at him like Stanton does. But he says, but he probably just kind of is like, okay, whatever. But if you if, but if you think about it, Lincoln, Stanton, and Kilpatrick all blew up the chain of command because none of those two told Meade right off the bat no. or told Pleasanton. Could you imagine so, being the boss, like two bosses? He's got two supervisors and totally overrides and goes to like the CEO and stuff and is like, hey, I got a good idea. Like talk about communication breakdown, unless it was deliberate, you know? Oh, yeah. Now, Meade, he hated Kilpatrick already. He just hated him. Oh, yeah. And so when he does hear about the plan, he kind of says, well, okay, because I've got, you know, you got, got authority over me, mm -hmm. these other guys. But whether it was because he was just so disgusted or whether he wanted to maintain plausible deniability in case it goes bad, he basically told him, okay, fine, but I don't want to hear any of the details. Don't even tell yeah. me. I could see Meade like, being like, deni like the deniable plausibility. It reminds me of when I was a kid. My mother would tell me, go out and do whatever the hell you want, but be home when the streetlights come on. Yeah. But don't tell me what the heck you did. Yeah. That's kind of what Meade was doing. He was Colonel Clink in it. He didn't want to hear him. We will see what he did, did want nothing to do with it. And so with the support now from Washington, Kilpatrick is going to begin to blow that conch shell we mm -hmm. talk about. And he's going to assemble 3,584 hand-picked cavalry to form really what is going to become kind of a, a black ops squad yeah. with the goal to liberate Union prisoners in Richmond. This is kind of just, it's, it's a stealthy little SEAL Team 6 thing mm -hmm. with 3,584 elite hand-picked troopers. Now, the um, Kilpatrick needs a second in command, and he someone who's just as cra crazy and brash as he is. Yep. His 21-year-old BFF colonel, the youngest colonel in the Army at that time, Ulrich Dahlgren, actually had heard about this plan when he was at the White House probably a couple of weeks before he heard yeah. something about it. Or something was said he, to him. It's all kind of like the, these details leading up to when the raid happens and in, in the aftermath are all very shady. Nothing is known at, like is again like nobody's recording shit, right? So nothing is known about what they're talking about and and how, you know, it, it's kind of shady how Dahlgren comes to be part of this, whether it's like they meet at the party and they start talking about it. There was somebody from Meade's staff that said that they they knew about the secret expedition and they said Seek there's a secret ep expedition with us is got up like a picnic with everybody blabbing and yelping. And there is one theory that says that uh, it could have been that Dahlgren actually overheard about the theory at the Willard Hotel. Or the, or wherever the, he, the, the, wherever the, he the heard it, he, Dahlgren wanted in. He yeah. did. And he get he got what he wished for. Dahlgren is going to sign on to this raid. And on February 26th, Dahlgren's going to write his father John about it. He's going to mm -hmm. write this letter there is a grand raid to be made, and I am, I am happy, and I am. I have a very important part in this command. If successful, it'll be the grandest thing on record. And if it fails, many of us will go up. But it'll be an undertaking that, if not in, I should be ashamed to show my face again. I think we will be successful if we do not return. There is no better place to give up the ghost. That's what he says to his father. And doesn't he say so, that he can't give details or something? Like I read one letter where he's saying, like, oh, I can't give details of this because it's like you know, super secret or whatever. But it's meanwhile, 
if that letter was intercepted by the Confederates, I would think they'd all of a sudden be on high alert around Richmond for something like, okay, they're not saying the details, but clearly something's going down because we have this letter saying that there's there was definitely super secret some, going down. There was something a foot up at the Circle K. Yeah. There's no question. But the thing about it, though, is I read a lot of the letters, um, a lot of the primary stuff from, from yeah. Dahlgren. He doesn't mention it in detail, but he, no. he talks about something big. And this is, he I paraphrase you know and he's he's one of those kids he's so excited you gotta tell everybody because he's so happy to be doing it february 28 1864 okay the raid is going to begin kilpatrick is he's in charge he's going to split his forces in two he's going to command three thousand of these men and they're going to cross the rapidan and head towards richmond from the north now dahlgren is going to command a much smaller force about 580 uh, guys he's going to head through a place called goochland county virginia and then crossed in the plan to cross the James River to take Richmond from the south, where there's a where the 45 acre Bell Isle prison mm-hmm. is, and liberate the prisoners. Now, Dahlgren's trek is going to be a lot more complicated than Kilpatrick's. So he's going to hire a local guide that's mm-hmm. going to help him through Goochland County and across the river. The Union guide is a black unionist. He is a member of the BMI, the Bureau of Military yeah. Information, that Union spy ring. His name is Martin Robinson. Now, once this mission begins, Kilpatrick gets going, but he's eventually going to get himself in trouble because he's Kilpatrick, right? After pushing past an initial column of Wade Hampton's cavalry, he's going to move about 60 miles in just 35 hours. He's going to move pretty quick, and he's going to approach those northern defenses of Richmond. Now, the thing about it, though, the defenses of Richmond, it's you think that it's, it's, you know, how strong this defense it really wasn't. It was defended by 2,000 rebel militia. These are mostly young boys and older guys yeah. under the command of a guy named Arnold Elsie Jones. He actually dropped the Jones and went by Arnold Elsie because he thought it sounded yeah. better. So that's, that's why you see him, Elsie. That's his name. Now, he's interesting, though. Elsie once commanded a brigade under Richard Yule in Stonewall's brigade in the Valley. He was shot in the head at Gaines Mill, and he was assigned to the Department of Richmond. So, mm-hmm. he, obviously, he, he lived. He didn't. Yeah. Didn't die from a shot in the head. This is the same Arnold Elsie, by the way, who claimed when he was younger that he went bald when someone spilled a tray of oysters on his head that were hot and his hair never grew back. That was a story he told. That's what he always felt. Wow. Hot oysters burnt his melted his hair and never grew back. So that that's what that's what he said. So who knows? But (laughs) Kilpatrick's gonna arrive. He'll be facing those 2,000 militia, not initially all at once, but they'll grow to about 2,000. And it's going to have five artillery pieces as well. And Kilpatrick is going to get pushed back pretty easily. He's going to get driven all the way back across the Chickahominy River. Now, once Kilpatrick's 3,000 troopers started their retreat, Wade Hampton's guys are going to show up again. They're going to start chasing them all the way. And they didn't stop chasing them until they got all the way back to the Union lines on March 4th. And for that point, his plan was dead before it even started. It was yeah, done. It does not. Well, I mean, and and not only that, they start off in dry weather, but soon they're encountering like freezing rain. The water on the James starts to get higher. But I mean, you're doing this raid at the end of February, beginning of March. Like the weather at that time is just, it's like, it's shit show. No, and the rain, the rain's going to be a big story we're going to talk yep. about in a little bit. So Kilpatrick is exit stage left. He's gone. Mm-hmm. But guess who has no idea what's going on about this? Of course, is Ulrich Dahlgren, yeah. who on March 1st is going to be arriving in Goochland County, which is about 35 miles northwest of Richmond. Mm-hmm. He's under the impression still that Kilpatrick is doing his job, his plan, yeah. and he'll be coming from the north. He doesn't realize that Kilpatrick's gone. How many He's times sort of, does this happen in the Civil War? Is this not what happened with Sherman and Soy Smith in the Western Theater when they did their little raid that there was no communication and someone doesn't show up? Oh, it happened with Battle, Battle at Yucca. Yeah. You can pick one. Yeah. It, 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 it's, it's communication, weather, terrain. It's, I mean, that's those, those are the big three yeah. with, with any of these. But the thing about it, though, is that Dahlgren, and here's what's, what's strange about Dahlgren. Dahlgren knows he has to get to Richmond. The yeah. time clock is ticking. So he gets to Goochland County, and Dahlgren's cavalry starts to do cavalry things. They start to tear up railroad tracks, destroy mm-hmm. whatever they think can be used to help the Confederacy. Yep. Now, the thing about it is, is interesting, too, is one thing that Dahlgren wants is fresh horses. And so he begins to raid barns to steal horses for his men. 
And there's one story where Dahlgren is actually going to lose 14 guys. There's going to be a local named James Pleasant, and he's going to catch 14 of Dahlgren's guys by putting on a blue union jacket, pretending to be a union officer, and he bags them and sends them off to oh, Richmond God. and catches them. So we're, not, we're talking about it's like a Keystone Cop situation, but these are all young guys with a brash young commander thinking that they have all the freedom in the world. And so what happens is, you know, leading, you know, this is all going on, but leading Dahlgren's men and, and is that guide, Martin Robinson. And on March 1st, Dahlgren's men are going to begin to, con they're going to continue to, to hit these things. They're going to begin to raid estates and plantations now. And there's really three big ones that they really get. One is called Sabbath Hill and is the home of Confederate Secretary of War James Snedden. Now, the thing, the second one is called Eastwood and is owned by a woman. Her name is Plumer Hobson, who happens to be the daughter of the former Virginia governor, Henry Wise. Mm -hmm. Fun fact, Henry Wise is the guy who ordered John Brown to be hanged. Yeah, interesting. So, so that's uh, during Harper's Ferry. Uh, Harper's Ferry. Mm -hmm. So Wise was actually there when Dahlgren first got into Goodson wow. County. And just before they got to Eastwood, uh, there was a private who was back home on leave named Private Gathwaite. And he tipped him off that, hey, you might want to get the hell out of here. This yeah. union, you know, he's like, okay. The third mansion is a place called Dover. And this is owned by a guy named James Morrison, not the Doors singer, different James Morrison. <laughs> okay. Now, and he, this is going to be the, really the first mansion um, that Dahlgren's men are going to raid. It's Morrison spelled a little differently. In Italy. It's, yeah. Let it go. Okay. Let me have my fun. Samuel Harris from the 5th Michigan Cavalry, he's going to write about this, this Dover. He's impressed by the houses. He says, my company was direct opposite. The house was more than 100 feet from the front porch. It was a large old style of Virginia mansion with a wide port porch across the front and a four large stone columns. Okay, let's talk about the house. Mm -hmm. But there are some reports that Dahlgren is going to confuse Dover with Sabbath Hill yeah. because he's looking for Snedden. Because he's thinking, you know, I can if I can get Snedden and maybe Wise, this now this could be something. He's so I don't know. It's it's one of these things where I mean, Dahlgren's got an arrogance on him, right? Where he's like going after, you know, trying to get these people's houses and stuff. But the the one thing you and I were talking about when we were you know been talking all week about this episode, but you know, he's doing the shit that Sherman gets accused of doing on the march to sea. You know, well, he like, does. He yeah. does. You know, Dahlgren's men, you know, the thing about Dahlgren's men, though, they don't destroy the mansions. No. And they don't destroy the slave quarters. But mm. what they do is they burn the stables and burn the barns. Yeah. There was one story, which doesn't make any sense to me, but there's, there's a lot of fables and stories about Dahlgren's raid down there in Goochland. But the story was Dahlgren was burning stables with the horses still in them. Oh my and God. there are stories of the sounds of the horses crying as they burned it. But it makes no sense because no. he's trying to get horses. Yeah. So why would he? So that, that yeah. again, that there's a lot of he said, she said with a lot of well, these it's things. It's like anything have, in the Civil War, right? There's a lot of like myths and legends that come out of this. A lot of it is based on rumors from the time that get passed down generation to generation, right? And we still have them today. It's all part of the now history one, of the Civil War. One story that is confirmed is when, is when Dahlgren's guys got to Dover. This is James Morrison's mansion. Mm. And some of Dahlgren's men went upstairs and routed the house and found the clothes of Ellen Bruce, which is the wife of Morrison. And yeah. According to a lot of people, they all decided to dress up in women's clothes, including including Bruce's wedding gown. Oh my god! And they went they went in the front yard and danced around like they were a big southern cotillion. Ah, oh, jeez, that's exactly what the, whole... the the bummers did stuff like that yeah. on the March of the Sea as well. They would come back dressed in women's clothing. It was like holy entertainment value, right? Like, and these these are young guys led by a young colonel. So you can only imagine what's going with their heads at the time. They're boys will be boys, right? Like that's it. Right, exactly. They're acting like frat boys. Now, when Dahlgren does get to get to Sabbath Hill, this is the home of Snedden now, he reportedly knocks on the door, knock, 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 and introduces himself to Mrs. Snedden. Again, according to stories, mm -hmm. she recognized the name Dahlgren and asked, hey, are you related to John Dahlgren? Yeah, I am. I'm his son. Mrs. Snedden smiles and goes, did you know me and your father used to date back in the day oh, when God. we were young? <laughs> and he goes, I didn't know that. Well, why don't you come in? I'll tell you the whole story. So Oliver allegedly goes inside, gets a tour of this whole 26-room mansion, and allegedly he's sitting around sipping wine, talking to her about the good old days. And so... Could you imagine? Like, what the hell? 
I mean, who knows if it's true or not, but that's that's the story. And over at Eastwood, the Union troops, you know, they're looking for Henry Wise because there's the rumors that he's in town, yeah. and, he, and he was. When the men approached, the woman at the the woman of the house stalled them, and Wise allegedly snuck out the back door and took off, which probably saved his life because they probably would have hanged him. Oh yeah, right? that's true. Yeah. No, but the three houses they remained they they were raided, but they remained intact. Yeah. You know, Dahlgren's attention turned to a, a steam mill on the Dover property. This is the deeming this mill was something that was clearly being used to help that Confederate war effort. Yeah. Dahlgren's going to order it burned. Mm-hmm. Samuel Harris again from that, that Michigan regiment. He writes. He writes between the Snedden Mansion and the river was a large grist mill with a sawmill attached. These mills were fired in several places. On the banks of the James Canal were boats loaded with cornmeal and lumber from the mills. These were all burnt. If you actually go to Goochland, which is not far from Richmond, yeah. the remains of the burned Dover steam mill are still there. You can still see it. Interesting. And, uh, so it's still there. So Now, remember the plan, though. The plan was Dahlgren has to get across the James River as fast as he can and quietly as possible to free these prisoners. So... So I know one thing for sure. If you want to be quiet, don't burn the neighborhood down and make a bunch of noise no. dancing around to women's clothes. Exactly. Where everyone around can see this. So he's wasting time. And in that plan, he needs to refocus, Dahlgren does. After the spree of mayhem was over, Dahlgren is going to call upon that scout, Martin Robinson, yep. to lead them to the James River at a place where they can cross to get to Richmond. Mm-hmm. And this is where the whole thing gets real dark for for our Dahlgren. Robinson knew the area really, really well. He knew all the crossing points over the James. But there's a problem that you mentioned a little while ago. It's been friggin' raining. So the James River, which is usually kind of placid, easy to ford, is flooded and swollen. Mm -hmm. And all the fords are washed out. They are stuck on the wrong side of the river with no way to cross. Yeah. Right? So Dahlgren realizes this, and he is going to be pissed. He's Pat's lost of the Bills pissed. That's how mad he is, right? I've seen that before. <sighs> Don't get me going. <laughs> his, his, day of, his day of destruction cost him big time. Yeah. And, he's, and he's that same angry type of guy cut from the same cloth as Judson Kilpatrick. Which they don't think, and they become, I mean, and the other thing about Dahlgren, too, is he's very, like, he's very paranoid about stuff as well and mm-hmm. he does some pretty fucking irrational shit he, he does now Ulrich is going to accuse that guy robinson that black unionist guy um of being a rebel sympathizer yeah and he's he's convinced now that robinson's trying to screw dahlgren and he's trying he's trying to set him up now robinson of course is going to deny this but dahlgren is going to be convinced of this that he's double crossing him mm-hmm. So he's going to order the reins of Robinson's horse, his saddle, to be removed. And what he's going to do with those reins is he's going to string Robinson up by a tree and hang him right on the side of the river as his, as his staff is mortified watching this. Yeah. Dahlgren is going to refuse to let his men cut him down. They left him there for someone else to find. Oh so, so Now, Dahlgren's men were completely stunned at this. Samuel Harris, I mentioned before, that private from, from the Michigan, yeah. uh, he writes about it. He goes, he goes, I had my doubts then, and I still have my doubts, whether that same guide intentionally or treacherously misled us. So here's the thing about Robinson. If you're going to do this, why do, you get, why do you guide Dahlgren 100 miles right to the point where you're 15 miles yeah. away from Richmond and then screw him? It's pretty clear that this was a real ugly moment for Dahlgren. Yeah. But it's clear he overreacted by murdering Robinson. No kidding. And, it's cl- and the reality is Robinson did nothing wrong. He was part nope. of the BMI. Um, and it really cast a pall on him. Yeah. And that story is going to get out. And, and, and the story we're going to talk about here in a little bit is going to create this cult of personality, this monster that they start calling Ulrich the Hun. Yeah. So, you know, for Dahlgren, you know, time is ticking away. The mm-hmm. clock is running. He still thinks Kilpatrick is coming from the north. Yeah. He was angry that he thought he caught Snedden, didn't, thought he caught Henry Wise, didn't. And now he's stranded. 
And so basically at that very moment, you know, he is stranded. This is pretty much when Kilpatrick's getting slapped on the ass by Hampton as he's running away. God. And that's kind of what's going on. Yeah. Dahlgren is eventually going to be able to cross that James River on that north bank. He's going to get across, begin to head to Richmond. But his plan of, re- of arriving from the south and taking Belle Island is over. Yeah, that He's dreadfully far away now. There's no way that's going to happen. So he, he's going to be at the home of a guy named Benjamin Green. And he, soon he's going to run into those same boys and old men that are uh, easy. Those militia. He's yeah. going to run into them who chase Kilpatrick away. Now, Dahlgren is going to basically, he's going to find them waiting for him at the site of the modern-day country club of Virginia. Yeah. It's a big golf club out there. If you're a fan of golf, Mary, it was the home of the Dominion Energy Charity Classic. It was won a couple of years ago by Phil Mickelson, in case you're curious, and Bernard Langer. So who knows if Dahlgren stuck around and played around or not. Maybe that's the way to move more. Gotta say, but I'm not a fan of golf. <laughs> but that site of the country club is roughly where this whole thing went down. So... At this point, Dahlgren's troops is, is it's starting to get dark, yeah. and they're gonna they're gonna get scattered by these militia. We're firing them. They're all gonna kind of like birds going in different directions. They're gonna get lost in the dark, and by the time you know they, they get their bearings again, Dahlgren only has a hundred men left because most of them just GTFO'd. Yeah, they, they kind of get set, like they fragment in the because it's dark out, right? And they start to fragment, and they some go one way and some go the other. Exactly. They're going to begin to head towards King and Queen County, which is north yeah. and east of Richmond. They're going to start heading in that direction. They are hopelessly and dreadfully lost. Yeah. Uh, their scout is dead. He's hanging from a tree, unfortunately. They have no clue where they are, and they have no clue where Kilpatrick is, but they're looking for him. They're going to go try to find yeah. him. Unfortunately for Dahlgren, Kilpatrick is, you know, he's vacated the dance floor. Big he's time. in the galaxy far, far away at this point. He's <laughs> gonzo yeah. after being chased by Easy's militia as yeah. well as Hampton's cavalry. So it's March 2nd now. It's getting late. It's about 11 o'clock p.m. And Dahlgren and his merry men are fumbling through the dark, not far from the king and queen courthouse. Yep. They're on this dark road surrounded by trees and they get to the, they get to a bend in the road. And about fifty yards ahead, they discover a few logs blocking the road. And it's Dahlgren doesn't quite know it, but he doesn't realize he's walking into a trap. Yeah. In the trees, to his left and to his right, in front of him is 150 men from the 9th Virginia Cavalry under James Pollard. Mm-hmm. As Dahlgren approaches, a rebel appears, and Dahlgren raises his pistol and demands him to surrender. When the Reb refuses, Dahlgren fires at him, but the weather got the yeah. percussion cap wet yep. and it misfires. Yeah. So as soon as he, they hear that click, all hell breaks loose. And from, from the front, from, the, from both sides, it's a sheet of fire from muskets barreling down on Dahlgren and his men. Dahlgren's going to get hit four or five times, depending on who you read, including once in the head. Yep. And that's going to kill him where he fell. 135 men of, of Dahlgren are going to get captured, um, and the rest are going to fled into the night. They're all going to take off. This ambush is going to be known as the Battle of Wilkerton. Yeah. That's, it's got a name, okay? But here's where Dahlgren's raid is going to turn into the Dahlgren affair, yeah. and it takes a different turn. And what happened next is going to drive Jefferson Davis into a rage along with the entire South, and for many – this is going to change the course of the war. Yeah, and right? it had, yeah, that's what we meant when we said, you know, this has some possibly far-reaching effects. Um, so the aftermath of this is actually, you know, there's two parts to it. There's what what the hell was found on Dahlgren's body, and there's also what the hell happened to Dahlgren's body. It, there's two different stories with this, which makes well, it so early, fascinating. Early in the morning of March 3rd, um, a 13-year-old boy, his name is William Littlepage, is gonna, he's serving in that militia of the boys and the, and the older men, he's going to find Dahlgren's body. He's going to start rummaging through it, right? Looking for candy, playboys, whatever he can get his hands. A 13-year-old kid. Who knows, right? <laughs> but, but in his, in his pocket, he's going to find a handful of papers and he's going to yeah. run them to his superior, a guy, his name is Edward Halbach. He happens to be Lily, uh, happens to be Little Page's teacher. Mm-hmm. And he's also his, his yeah. superior. He also militia, finds especially. some cigars too. Exactly. But the papers are the big thing. The papers Little, Little Page founds were written in Dahlgren's handwriting, which mm-hmm. is going to be later be questioned, but we'll get to that. 
and it specified really what what his plans really were yeah. allegedly we say allegedly because no one really knows no, what gets that too. still debated but according to the papers found in his body in his own handwriting after securing the prisoners he writes and i quote this is from dog this is from the actual mm-hmm. things that the little page found yeah the bridges will be secured once in the city it must be destroyed and jeff davis and his cabinet killed so say that again jeff davis and his cabinet killed yeah an order found that a union officer specifies the assassination of the confederate president and his cabinet as you can imagine mary in richmond this news went about as well as when the blizzard machine gets all jammed up on a hot <laughs> summer day, right? Yeah, the, this, the newspapers this, were all over it once they found out about it. Well, the news, the note's going to quickly get sent to the Confederate White House yeah. over there on East Clay Street. And Davis threw, pitched a fit. He lost oh, he's it. he's livid. It was published in the Richmond Examiner, yeah. a newspaper in the South, again, lost their minds. And they read mm-hmm. this because the assumption is what? That President Lincoln ordered the code red on Jefferson Davis. Yeah. That's what that's what they're thinking. Dahlgren himself, despite being dead, you know, he 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 just drew he's gonna draw the ire. We mentioned before that Ulrich the Hun nickname they yep. called him. So they they do what they do. Originally, Dahlrich was buried where he fell on the side of the road. That's where he was initially mm-hmm. buried. But as soon as this word came out, a bunch of angry Virginians. They went and dug his ass up. Yeah. They cut off his finger, stole his ring, mm-hmm. and stole that wooden leg. Yeah. But the body at that point, all he had on was one sock. Yeah. Everything else, he was naked except for one sock. Oh, so God. always have your socks. <laughs> the bo- and so he what they did with the body is they they dressed it in a Confederate gray jacket, pants, and a rebel blanket, and they put him on display at the York River Railroad Station for yeah. all to see. So visitors noted, this, this, they, this is what they noted about the body, he had pale skin, reddish hair and goatee, and a look of agony on his dead face. Mm-hmm. That's what they said about him. Yeah. So and he's in a, he's, his wooden leg, by the way, would later show up put on display in the window of yeah. a Richmond department store. Which is, I don't know, the body on display in the leg, that's kind of, uh, that's kind of creepy. <laughs> Well, I mean, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, just, I, I don't know. And I mean, too, there's different reports um, in newspapers and just personal accounts of how his body looked, what he was wearing. There was one where it was said he was just wearing like green pants and like a white cotton shirt as well. Um, but yeah, more of the reports say they dressed him up in the Confederate uniform, which I think is probably close to accurate because they are pissed that this has happened and by now rumors they're not rumors but by now word has probably gotten down that this is the guy that's been causing all the shit at like snedden's place and all that right yeah but but it was the assassination that really yeah. got them mm-hmm. and you know when the word got reached the north that dahlgren's body was being desecrated it equally pissed the north off oh, now yeah. don't forget this is john dahlgren's son yeah, and he, you and know, he's very. I think like Admiral Dahlgren is very respected, is he not? Like, well, he he's yeah. he's one of the most he's up yeah. there. He's one of the most important people in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Navy. Yeah. So it's, so when the story gets back to Washington, what's going on? So eventually, Dahlgren's body is going to be buried in an unmarked grave in Oakwood Cemetery in yeah. Richmond, but he's not going to stay there for long either. No. And when the word when the word of Dahlgren's body's plight got around it reached the word of a famous union spy named elizabeth van lu yeah everyone's heard of elizabeth she ran that network in richmond where she allegedly had a spy in davis's confederate white house yeah and risking herself van lu and some of her associates they dug up dahlgren's body in the middle of the night and they smuggled his remains north to philadelphia to be reburied in laurel cemetery where yep. he is today this is the same cemetery that's george Meade, john c pemberton yep. Uh, Henry Bingham. So that's where his body goes. But what this Dahlgren situation did was in the end, if there was such a thing, that chivalrous combat mentality, that thought that this war was, that many of the nation thought, I mean, was over. The gloves were off, especially in the South. Yeah. And I think that's why this story doesn't get talked about a lot because it's, you know, he's a northerner. 
And he's not being like chivalrous or heroic or anything. He's being, he's a bastard. Well, the thing about it is, is when the gloves are off, it's like, well, everything's, everything's game now. There were 12 terrorist stories that happened in the North from the South uh, that came after this is possibly from revenge for this. Mm -hmm. Most notably is that story of Dr. Luke Blackburn. He's that Kentucky doctor, that Southern agent who went to Bermuda during, and he gathered all those smallpox blankets and, He's going to contract an agent in Montreal, Canada, of course, named yeah, Godfried Himes, and he's going to have a plan to distribute these—I mean—these blankets to northern cities like Boston, New York, yeah. even the White House. Jefferson Davis knew about this mm-hmm. because in a letter was sent to him that said, "One hundred of dollars of public money has been paid here to Himes to be sold at auction a box of smallpox clothing." So this is all this is going on now. Yep. Judah Benjamin, the guy from Yale who ended up being the Confederate Secretary of State, he's going to send copies of the letter, Dahlgren's letter to John Slidell. Mm-hmm. He's that Confederate diplomat over in Europe. Yep. He's going to make thousands of copies of this on this new invention called a lithograph, and he's going to spread them all over Europe, this letter to spread the word of look, look what happens. Mm-hmm. For Lincoln, this Dahlgren affair created quite a quagmire. Oh, giggity, God. Right? Yeah. The plan of liberating thousands of sick prisoners and getting them back north looks idiotically silly now. And many doubted if that was the original plan to start with. Because yeah. the thing about it, though, you're going to break 13,000 prisoners out of, of Belle Isle. Yeah. Now, there's one way in, one way out. These are all sick, hungry. Yeah. How the hell are you going to get them out? It's one thing to get in there. But how are you going to get them out without being cut? So people started to think, was this a mask covering a real assassination plot? Exactly. Was that the point of it? Then that that makes sense, right? But the other thing I thought too is, okay, so I'm in prison at Belle Isle. I'm probably sick, you know, and some dude comes and breaks me out. So I got to get across the James River. And then that guy says to me, okay, now we're going to go burn some bridges and we're going to burn Richmond, okay? I would be like, F this, like, I'm sick. I just got out of prison. You want me to go fight for you? Like the plan just like, as I was researching this, I was like, this makes no sense. Like what prisoner is going to want to do that? <laughs> well, it's the same reason why Sherman said he didn't liberate Andersonville yeah. and march on the sea because they would just slow him down. Yeah. And so in that situation, you know, this murder plot in Washington yep. was it being used to expedite the end of the war with this 1864 election looming. When thousands of angry northerners were ready to set to vote for George McClellan, is this a way that – but the thing about it, though, Lincoln denied ordering this assassination with every fiber in his being. I don't think Lincoln would have done something like that. That's the Well, thing. that's the thing, too. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but yeah. he fell to his Confederate propaganda. I mean this is the guy who said malice towards – you know, malice towards none yeah. a, a year later. So is this a guy who would do this – the the problem the problem was that is was the note. The note was in Dahlgren's handwriting. Yeah. And despite some rumors that it was forged, primarily because the way they said it was forged, and this is John Dahlgren said to his dang die his dying day, because the signature on the letter was the name Dahlgren was spelled wrong. Yeah. It had D H L A D A L A instead of D A H L, and the reason why was those lithographs we talked about was when they copied them, the ink on the back ran through the front, yeah. so it looked like it misspelled the words. But there's been hand, handwriting experts for years who've looked at this, and they just say, "Yeah, this is definitely his handwriting based on previous letters." So, but the thing is, the story does start to lose steam on its own in the spring of 1864 because this is when Grant's Orland campaign is going to start. And the attention of the nation is going to be focused on everything that was going on at that point. And, but, but eventually, you know, the, the, the the stories of where Dahlgren's orders come, you know, they again became a topic of conversation Mm -hmm. and they all wanted to know who wrote it. Now, considering Pleasanton and Meade, were bypassed on the chain of commands from the beginning, it's extremely unlikely either had any idea about this. I, I mean, None. my opinion is that it definitely was not either of them. I don't, I mean, honestly, like, I don't know if Placidon could have come up with such a plan or even he probably would have been like, no way. Uh, but Meade, I can see him being like, I don't want to know about it. Just go do your thing, whatever. But like the thing with Meade, 
is I read a story where um, he had to go, like he had basically write General Lee and assure him that he had not sanctioned this. He yep. was like, this is not my shit. This is not, you know, I had nothing to do with this. He had to personally assure General Lee that he had nothing to do with it. So I think we can take like Meade and Pleasanton off this completely. Well, Meade, Meade publicly denied it, called yeah. the plot an embarrassment. He's, he wrote to his wife, but he wrote, he says, considering Kilpatrick's reputation and the other evidence, the orders are probably authentic. Mm. Now, the other evidence phrase is unknown, and we'll get to that, but no one knows what yeah. that phrase means. But Meade basically saying, I didn't know anything about it, but yep. considering that Patrick's involved, I wouldn't put anything past him. Yep. Now, uh, Captain John McGinty, he's one of Dahlgren's men. Mm -hmm. He met with Marcina Patrick. He's that general provost marshal, right? Yep. And in Patrick's diary, he mentions the conversation he had with, with McGinty, dated March 12, 1864. This is just a couple of days afterwards. Yep. And he wrote that, and I quote, they see the plans, they seem correct based on the orders Dahlgren told McGinty. Yeah. So he what he's saying is that McGinty told Marcina Patrick of there's something up that matches what that letter said. So he yep. kind of corroborates that plan. Yeah. But regardless, the idea of a 21-year-old Dahlgren himself going rogue and doing it by himself is very, very unlikely. There's no way. No. It goes back to that original letter I mentioned about the temperance and the gamblers. And he just, yeah. he just, it's, a, it's, it's, he's, he's too, he's, his personality is a lot different yeah, than, he had a than what this is. Like YOLO. And, and the other thing too, is there was another guy in the BMI, John Babcock, who confirmed it as well saying like, this is accurate. So you have these BMI guys who are somehow involved in it too. So it's like, it's a, I don't know. It's kind of like, and the plot thickens sort of thing. And here's well, more. It gets, it gets worse. Now, you know, could we go back to Lincoln? Could he have done it? Now it's hard to believe that because of someone like this before, um, the way he talked afterwards, the way he yeah. treated the Confederates at Appomattox, it seems very, very unlikely that he would order the assassination of Jefferson Davis and his cabinet. I, I can't see him doing this. This is it, a guy that sat with General Grant, you know, it, that scene in the Lincoln movie where he's like, I just want to see, you know, kind of, I don't want them hung, whatever, right? I, I can't see Lincoln ordering an assassination on no, Jefferson it, Davis. It's, it's unlikely. That leaves one person, realistically, okay? Yes. And that would be Edwin Stanton. Yes, now, now, now Stan <laughs> Stanton, Stanton was ruthless. He was much more sinister than Lincoln for sure. He always Big felt time. Lincoln was soft. Yep. He, Stanton did meet with Kilpatrick in Dahlgren privately mm -hmm. before the raid. Yep. And we talked about that in Washington. I will say this. After the war in December of 1865, Stanton ordered a guy named Franz Lieber. Now, this is a guy who was in charge of gathering and collecting all the Confederate documents after the war. Yep. Stanton orders Lieber to bring him all the documents pertaining to the Dahlgren affair, all of them, yep. which, of course, he does. Guess what happened to the documents? They're never seen again. Which, They're never seen again. They disappeared. They, they probably ended up in his fireplace. But Stanton took the documents, and they've never been seen since. So this is certainly that this is certainly that evidence that Meade's referring to in his letter to his wife. Yeah. It has to be. But whatever that whatever the documents say, Stanton got him, and he made him disappear. So, so there you go. The, the raid has repercussions on both sides. You know, after this, this latest embarrassment, Judson Kilpatrick, he's going to get shipped out to the Western Theater. Yeah. And as, as a result of this anticipated, this attempted raid on Belle Isle, those 13 Union captives over at Belle Isle, because it's deemed that that's not safe, they're going to get shipped off to where? To Andersonville yeah. because of this. And if you read John Ransom's diary, he talks about this, about, mm -hmm. about the whole experience. Dahlgren's raid is one it's one of those events in history that is tailor-made for a spy novel, but it's true, right? Mm -hmm. His legacy in Goochland County is still is still a bad one, speaking of Alder Dahlgren. And yeah. the truth is no one will ever know who contact, you know, concocted this plan. Yeah. But it's one that's always gonna be one of those Civil War stories that is talked about forever because it has it all. Oh, it does. And it, it's, it's got, it's one of those things, you know, we talked about this in the Edward or in the small, the Robert Smalls episode, you know, Pemberton, because of what happens, he gets shipped off to Vicksburg because of what happens here. 
you know, they're kind of like, what the hell do we do with Kilpatrick? He's screwed up again. Can we just send him off somewhere? Yes, let's send him to the, uh, the land of misfit toys, the Western theater. He ends up out there. And then he is the cavalry guy on Sherman's March to the Sea. And he does some, I mean, he's okay there, but he does some shady shit there too. Um, but I think this is one that it was, it's such an interesting study. It's something that is, it's not talked about. And it does have repercussions. Like there's one argument that this is something that kind of triggers John Wilkes Booth to start thinking about assassinating Lincoln, you know? Right. And there's a lot of stories like that. Again, a lot of these, like a, like a lot of this story with, with, with Dahlgren, there's, there's definitely truth and there's definitely folklore with this because yeah. there's so many stories that, that are hard to believe. But there, but you know what though? Sometimes the hardest to believe stories are the true ones. Yeah. And there, there was, there was, there was, a, there was those twelve terrorist activities, those things from Montreal that happened. Yeah. Um. There was a plot to blow up the White House that never, obviously, never happened. Yep. Um. But then there, you know, there is the people who believe that this might have been one of the, one of one of the things that spurred a booth to do his thing. Yeah. And this, we'll never know. No. But I, but the truth of the matter is when the Dahlgren affair letter came out, when that was, when, when that was, when that came out, when the Richmond newspaper broke that, uh, there was, there was a real, real bloodlust for revenge for this. And a lot of stuff happened afterwards. And it's tough to say if they would have happened anyway, but the reality is the Dahlgren affair is a very, very dark and very understudied part of the American civil yeah. war. It's one that, cast a shadow on the union army and the yep. government uh that this could possibly happen um because it really had never happened before and no. if in it makes you wonder what well, first of all how he, he could have done it. he probably couldn't have but no. if he did what that would have done for that war uh and so you know it's uh it's one of those things that if you if you really study these folks um you it really makes you wonder and it's a, it's a great story because mm-hmm. it's got a lot of intrigue to it but uh, Dahlgren is a guy who was two different people. Yeah, he he was. He had a very very dark side to him. Big time. So um, he was the, the minion of Judson Kilpatrick. Yeah, it, it sounds like you know speculation. They might have been they might have been egged on by Stanton. Um, I, so I who mean, knows? That's my my own opinion of it, and this is opinion, not fact, is I do think Stanton was probably the one behind it because he has a track record of making stuff disappear. You know, he makes the Dahlgren letters disappear. Um, but the other thing too is he, you know, there's the story of Booth's autopsy photo. That apparently was something else he made disappear too. So Stanton has a track record of making things disappear. I think he had a lot of ambition. Uh, yes, I <laughs> admittedly, I do not like Stanton. He is my least favorite of Lincoln's cabinet members. I think he's really shady and just, you know, kind of in it for himself sort of thing. But um, I think this is a plan that Stanton would have been 100% okay with. With He would have been the one to say, like, here, this is what I want you to do, you know. It's, it's fun to speculate because yeah. you never know. And his, these guys have obviously been gone a long time. We'll never know. Yeah. But I think it's – I think the Dahlgren raid and the Dahlgren affair is a very interesting one to study. Mm-hmm. Um and I think a lot of people that when they really read into this, you realize that this 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 really did happen. It really did, yeah. how, and how how the whole thing went down. Um, but I think it's interesting. So, what's up for us next? What's next? So next, uh, we have our St. Patrick's Day Roundtable Trivia Night coming up on March fifteenth, seven thirty p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, mm-hmm. If you'd like to attend, Civil War Breakfast Club at gmail.com, and we will send you an invite. Um, our next episode, we are going to be recording with Wayne Motts of Gettysburg Foundation. So we yep. very Wayne will be joining us. Very excited to talk about, about that. some of the great initiatives going on. They've got a, uh, the, that fantastic ticket to the past thing they just opened up. The Children of Gettysburg. You can. There's a lot of good tours they do. Uh, everybody knows Wayne. He um, he's he's going to be joining us for our next episode to talk a lot about the foundation. Yep. So if you, everything you wanted to know about the Gettysburg Foundation. This will be your place because he's going to be with us talking about that. Yeah. All right, Mary. So I think that's a good place to drop it here. I think it's an interesting talk, uh, certainly one that's uh, that I think a lot of people will get a kick out of, especially when you, if you hadn't heard yep. about it before. So, all right. Any final words from you, Pinchero? Well, I just also want to say that um, just because it is uh, inter- it's not just International Women's Day yesterday, but it's also international. It's like Women's History Month as well. We are going to be recording 
uh, in a couple weeks too with our good friend MJ Hennian who portrays Pauline Cushman as well. So we're going to be talking to her about Pauline Cushman as well as her experiences as a um, portraying her in living history. So we are very much looking forward to that too. A lot of cool things are coming down the pike for us. We have a lot of good things that better could be coming here. So, all right. So off we go. Everybody, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. Episode 102 is in the books. We are off to episode 103. So live on Saturday at 10 o'clock in the morning. St. Patty's Day. Well, St. Patty's Week trivia on Wednesday. Dress in green. Best contest. Best costume will win a book, perhaps. We'll see. But bring your libations. We're going to talk. We're going to do trivia. We'll see if we can stump the Canadian. We'll have some fun with that. And then we'll do some fun things. So off we go. Everybody have a great rest of the week. Enjoy your weekend. And we will talk to you all on the other side. Mm -hmm.